Uh, we have a guest uh, preacher uh, with us today um, who uh, you may or may not have met before. Uh, he, has, he has tithes to this congregation, um, family members and, and whatnot, um, and I've uh, gotten to spend some good time with him um, uh, over the years serving together and look forward uh, to hearing God's word from Samuel Husband today. Uh, Samuel knows his story a lot better than I do, um, so I'll let him uh, give some details on what's going on in his life right now, but look forward to hearing God's word from you, so come Samuel. Well, good morning, Christ community. I'm uh, glad to be here. Uh, Paul, a.k.a. Uh, Big Huzz in my family, is my eldest brother and uh, my hero in life. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to uh, Luke chapter 14. It's also in your bulletin if you want to go that route. Um, before we get into the text, I just want to briefly share. Uh, last time I was here, several months back, um, I got to preach and really talk to you about uh, God's call on our lives. We've been at a church, IPC, for over seven years and Uh, Most recently, uh, we've accepted a a call to church plant and leaving something that is known and going to something that is unknown, starting from scratch, is uh, a little scary, if I'm honest. And yet, um, if you were here last time I preached, we talked about uh, walking on water, Peter getting out of the boat. Faith has to be where Christ is. And so faith is not great, but it clings to greatness. So I am not some super Christian or Marine on the front lines of like this battle that God is waging. No, I'm, I'm a sinner, a beggar in need of grace. And that's, that's all I am. Uh, thankfully God is enough for me and Jesus, uh, and he's enough for you as well. Fellow beggars who, who need bread. Uh, and so today I picked, um, passage of scripture that really talks about the banquet, the feast, the party that God has called us into, because I need to know that I'm invited to that party and that I have accepted it in Jesus. And I want you uh, to hear this invitation uh, and to receive it, to welcome it, uh, to, to sup with Christ, to eat and dine with Christ. Um, basically, uh, one little point uh, in the back, there's a little table right by the door. I would encourage each family, if you wouldn't mind, just taking one of these and just putting it on your fridge. There's a wonderful picture there of my much better half, Sarah Tyson, and our boys, Sam and Luke. Um, and this just gives you just a brief little... Um, picture, a snapshot of, um, of our call to church plant. And I would ask you to do one thing. Um, as the PCA family in Memphis, as just the church family uh, in Memphis, I would ask you to pray for us. Uh, J.C. Ryle had a, has a great quote. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. He says, he loves me best, or she loves me best, who loves me in their prayers. And so the best thing you can do for m- myself, my wife, my two boys, uh, is to pray because you realize that Jesus really is the only true church planter. There is no other. Jesus is the only church planter. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am not a church planter. Jesus is. And so uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> seeking to follow him into this church planting endeavor and ask that the Lord would continue to do what he's always done to build his church. And I need the prayers of God's people. I need your prayers. Uh, as a Christian, uh, as a brother or sister in Christ, I'm begging with you and pleading with you and commanding you. No, I'm saying, please pray for us. All right. Um, This morning, um, as I mentioned, we're going to get into Luke 14, but I have a couple questions just to set the stage. The first question that I want to ask is this. Um, What do you think about when you think about a party, a banquet, um, a celebration? What, What do you think about when you think about a party? Now, I'm talking about a party that you actually want to go to, okay? So um, 
Most people answer that question, they throw out things. I've, I've asked this question in a, in a large group of people before. They threw out words like um, celebration, joy, uh, feasting. There's an abundance of food at a good party. Um, there uh, is good drink. There's uh, laughter. There might even be music and dancing, right? I know we're Presbyterians, but there might be some dancing going on, right? Which would look funny. Uh, well, I'll stop there. Um, <laughs> There'll be some joy and laughter. There'll be other folks there. You might not know a whole lot of people, but if you got an invite, you at least know one person, the person that invited you, right? And there'll be connection. There'll be celebration, joy, feasting, drinking, uh, what, what uh, old British people talk about, merrymaking. C.S. Lewis called it merrymaking. Making happy. There'll be joy there. Okay, that's a party that you actually want to go to. Now I have another question for you. Um, what do most people, and when I say most people, you know, if you look at different stats based on um, the studies, no matter where you are in the United States and cities, even in the Bible Belt, close to 80% of people aren't going to church every week. Um, and there's this scary, crazy stat that says uh, close to like 40% of young ones growing up in the church will leave the church uh, by the time they go off to college. And so what do most people, maybe not you right now, but what do most people think about when they think about the church? Now, I asked this, group, this to a group of people, and the first answer they gave was not a party. That's what, that's what they said, not a party. Like the opposite of everything we just said, basically. Uh, one illustration of that is a pastor I know asked a prostitute, uh, hey, would love for you to come to church. Would you, have you considered coming to the church? Uh, and she responded, why would I want to do that? I already feel terrible about myself. Because she viewed the church... Um, as a place that is not welcoming, that is not joyous, that is not receiving, that is not like a party or a banquet. Now, I asked you those questions to set the stage because the passage we're going to talk about today, uh, I want you to remember that Jesus' most common metaphor for entering his kingdom, the most common metaphor that Jesus used for salvation, entering the kingdom of God, was a banquet, was a table, it was a party. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus whether he was going to a party, sitting down at a party, or leaving a party, he didn't just talk about it, but he welcomed people to his movable feasts, which displayed his grace. And so it's one of the, it's one of the things that the Pharisees, maybe the only thing the Pharisees got right about Jesus. You remember um, when they said, this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them, right? And they didn't, get, they didn't give that as a compliment. And in Luke's gospel, he doesn't, he doesn't like defend Jesus on that. He just gives you more ammunition that that's absolutely true. And thank God it's true. Uh, because he's welcomed you and he's welcomed me. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. One more verse and then we'll jump into our passage. Uh, the previous chapter, chapter 13, Jesus has already told his disciples this. He says, people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and they will come and eat in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he anticipates and expects people from all over, like all kinds of people from all over, to come and recline at his table, to dine with him into the, in the kingdom of God. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump into our passage, which I'm not going to read uh, every verse from ch- uh, chapter 14. I'm just going to give you the context uh, in, in verses 1 through uh, 6, uh, Jesus, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And what I want you to realize real quick is this. 
Jesus was not self-righteous about self-righteousness. He actually received, quote-unquote, hospitality uh, from self-righteous Pharisees. He would actually go uh, to, to their house as well, to their table. And they were watching him, and the story goes that they were using this man who was sick, who had this medical condition where um, it's very painful, his body would swell, uh, fluids would gather. And they brought this man into the feast on the Sabbath day to see what Jesus would do with him. And they were trying to catch Jesus because if Jesus doesn't heal him, Jesus isn't compassionate. And if Jesus does heal him and their interpretation of the law, then Jesus was breaking the law. And so they invite Jesus to the table and they also bring in this man. They're using him as a trap. And Jesus heals him and dismisses him because it's not safe for him to be there and to be used by these men. So Jesus stands up and heals this man. And then he says, is it lawful? What's it lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal? They had no answer for that. And he says, which one of you, if you had a son or a daughter or an animal that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't immediately grab them and pull them out? Right? And they had no answer. Um, And basically, you don't want to pick a fight with Jesus, okay? You just don't want to do that. Uh, He'll beat you every time. So that's the context. They're actually at a banquet. And maybe it's not the banquet we want to go to, but Jesus went to it anyway. They're at a banquet, and now our passage today, verse 7 and following. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, instead of just letting those words sink in a minute like, and having no response, someone tries to uh, deflect a little bit. <laughs> when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But notice Jesus' response. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at, that, and at the time... For the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in 
that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This morning, I want us to consider our passage uh, along three points. And they're really just the points that Jesus gives us. The first one is this, the place of honor. We'll talk about the place of honor as Jesus did. The second is, I want you to notice the guest list. Who gets on this list, the guest list. And then number three, our final point is, uh, Jesus points us to a great banquet. So the place of honor, the guest list, and a great banquet. Jesus starts off, uh, (laughs) after healing a man and, and winning the argument, he goes deeper into the heart of self-righteousness. And I love this because if you remember the, the, the parable of the two sons, it's not a parable about one son, it's really the parable about a father. But it's the parable of two sons, the younger who squandered his wealth and, and ran away. But the older brother, you remember what happens? The older brother is self-righteous and he clenches his fist and he won't go into the party. But what does the father do? The father still goes out to try to bring the self-righteous brother in. Don't you love that? Like he, he doesn't just welcome the, the son who runs away. He comes out to welcome the older brother too, to tell him, you better get into this party. He doesn't want anyone to miss the party. And so he goes even to self-righteous Pharisees and he goes after their hearts. And so he tells them uh, what Proverbs 25 already told us. Proverbs, Jesus knew his Bible, okay? He's not just picking random stories out of the air. Jesus tells us what Proverbs 25 already told us, and it tells us this. Don't put yourself forward in the presence of a king. No, 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 no. Sit back, be humble, and let the king tell you to come forward, right? Well, here Jesus is saying, don't be like folks on Black Friday, right, who are, who are jockeying for position, who are throwing elbows to get to the front of the line so they get the best deals for themselves. Don't be a Black Friday Christian, And and Jesus knows this too, like Jesus is not just giving you social etiquette or a way to be falsely humble, right? False humility is pride too, okay? He's not telling you that either. What he's telling you is take the lowest spot. Why? Because Jesus in the flesh has done that for you. Born in a major. He didn't come as an emperor's son. He came as a poor carpenter's son. And Jesus, when they presented him in the temple, he gave the poorest sacrifice, Jesus has come and he has taken the low spot. What Jesus has done, Philippians 2 points us to this reality, that he empties himself of all this honor and recognition, right? And he becomes the slave, the servant. And he tells his disciples, don't lord it over people, but if you want to be great in the kingdom, be like me, the son of man who didn't come to, 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 to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is giving us an example, really, of what he himself is doing, but he's telling us, don't be arrogant, don't be haughty and puffed up, because here's the reality. You will either be humble or you will be humiliated. Jesus loves you enough to tell you that. Why? Because he knows his father's heart, and his father has revealed that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The heart of God is overflowing with love. He wants people to be humbled and brought in. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the humble will be exalted. To put that in everyday language, how we talk, if you kind of walk around with your nose up, if you walk around like that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to trip over everything. It's not a way to walk through life. And Jesus loves them enough to tell them, look, 
don't do this. Again, Jesus is not offering mere, you know, manners at, at a banquet. He's telling you the heart of someone who has already received the invitation into the kingdom, they know that they've been received into the true banquet, and so they don't have to jockey for position or honor. In, in these days, the Pharisees, they love to throw parties and banquets, and they would all try to get as, as close as they could to the head of the table because that would secure more invitations to more important stuff. And this cycle goes of, of being, being the in crowd. And Jesus wants you to know that there, you, don't, you don't try to buy recognition. Uh, you don't have this motto, hey, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. No, but he tells you to welcome one another, receive one another as Christ Jesus has welcomed or received you. Think about that just for two seconds. How has Christ Jesus welcomed you or received you? I'll just tell you a couple. At great cost to himself, when you had nothing to offer him, when you were his enemy, he welcomed and he, he, uh, he left his father's side and the comfort of heaven, right? He gave up his comfort, his wealth, and he crossed major divides to bring you in so that you would have access to him. So the point of the first, our first point is this, the place of honor you have to understand that our, this is all of our struggle. Like one pastor put it this way, we all wear this invisible sign that says, please make me feel important, right? You have this sign, you wear it all the time, I do too. Please vote for me. Please think I am important. Please serve me, honor me. And Jesus is saying, no, if you've experienced the beauty of who I am, the kingdom of God coming in your life, it's going to look something like this. You're going to know that the God of heaven and earth has literally moved heaven to earth in Jesus Christ. And he has granted to you his spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have so honored you that they want to be with you forever. Think about that for a second. That the God of heaven and earth has so honored you that he has given you his only son and not withheld him. That he has said, I am not ashamed to make my home in you, John 14. If you love me, Jesus said, my father and I will make our home in you. Jesus is not ashamed to be with you forever, to honor you, bringing you to himself. Jesus doesn't think he got the raw in the deal by inviting you to his table, inviting you into the family of God. Friends, you have been honored. If you are a Christian, you have been honored in such profound ways that it frees you up not to go after honor that will fade. You have honor in the fact that your, your Savior loves you and has brought you in. Your failure, your greed, your lust, that, none of that gets the last word on you. Your friends, your family, even your enemies, they don't get the last word on you. You don't even get the last word concerning you. God in Jesus Christ the very word of God, he alone gets the last word on you. And he says, welcome. He says, come on in. So do not take the place of honor. Honor Jesus, who will help you to honor others, and you will be honored. That's the first point. Our second point is this, though. Notice the guest list. So Jesus points out that when you give a banquet or a party, Don't just throw it for the people you like and who can scratch your back. 
but look out for those who are not like you. Look out for those who society does not look out for. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So Jesus wants you to know something. Okay, it's not that like you should be rude to your family and friends or rich people, right? Jesus, like Luke, who's writing this gospel, is a doctor, and he probably had some wealth because he had some good education. Uh, if you look throughout the Bible, there's scores of examples of rich people getting into the kingdom. Jesus does say it's harder for them because they trust their wealth and not me, right? Jesus doesn't love poor people or crippled people more than he loves rich people, okay? That's not the point here. We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But Jesus does point us to something that's very important. And that if we, do, if we just explain it away, we'll never move in this direction. And so I don't, want, I don't want to explain it away. I want us to sit with these words. Jesus literally said, invite the poor. Invite the ones who are hurting and do not have access. It's literally what Jesus says. Now, when you think about this list, what I, want you to, what I want you to see is it's not wrong, right, to invite your family and friends to go to dinner. I uh, just went to a birthday party with family and friends. Wonderful. I think Jesus smiles at that, okay? What Jesus is saying is this. When you throw a party, when you want to express thanks because you have enough to share, you don't only do that with your family and friends and people who look like you. To live into the kingdom of God intentionally means you seek out people, right, who don't have the wind at their back, but they might have the wind in their face, right? You have enough to share, guess what? Living in the kingdom of God means you bring others into that. And so, what Jesus is saying is, it's not wrong to invite your friends, it's wrong only to invite those who look like you, only your friends. And so Jesus is doing something very remarkable here. He's, he's highlighting that this great reversal is coming. And we find this in the very first chapter of Luke's gospel in Mary's song. You remember Mary's song? Mary cries out, she rejoices in God, her Savior, and then she highlights God's mercy. She says, it's his mercy, for he has filled the hungry with good things. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's what Mary said, the mother of Jesus. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty. This great reversal is coming. Those who know they need Jesus, they get in. Those who are trusting in other things, they don't. And so think about that list. What do they all have in common? The poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. What Jesus is highlighting here is so important. And I don't want us to miss it. What he's highlighting is the grace of dependence. The grace of dependence. Jesus told his disciples on more than one occasion, hey, you you have to enter or receive the kingdom like a child. You only, actually, you only get in like a child. The kingdom belongs to children. Now, again, the emphasis is not on children being so innocent and pure, being so faithful and selfless and full of uh, generosity and love for God and love for neighbor, right? Uh, If your children are anything like mine, they wake up selfish they go to bed selfish, and in between, they're selfish. Like, you don't have to teach my kids to wake up and say, I'm hungry. Every morning, my sons say, I'm hungry. And throughout the day, especially Luke, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Give me some juice. I'm like, well, can we mix in a please? And how about a thank you, right? You don't have to teach kids to beg you for stuff, right? 
You don't have, that comes hardwired, standard, on every model. I need something, and I'm not ashamed to say, give me. Right? And that's exactly the posture that Jesus wants from you. Right? Not someone who has it all together, but someone who's crying out, feed me. I'm thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled because there's enough on my table. (laughs) Jesus is saying, look, these people who have forgot, who've been forgotten, I don't forget. And it's not that every poor person gets into the kingdom, but the poor don't have the stumbling block of thinking they've got it all together most of the time. They say, I need something. The lame, the crippled, the blind, they, they're quite aware that they don't have access. Very often, that they're dependent, and this is the grace of dependence that please would we learn to cry out as needy children to our heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I love to give my, my kids gifts, and I'm a sinful, selfish dad, but I still love to hook them up. Like, I love to give them gifts. How much more does a perfect heavenly father love to give you what you need, what you most need? I want to remind you, too, of one thing that Paul Miller points out in several of his books. Paul Miller points out that Jesus, he points to John 5 and John 12. Jesus, if you, have you thought about this recently? Jesus is the most dependent person that ever lived. If, if a 35-year-old man said, hey, I only do what I see my father doing, you'd be like, get a life. You'd be like, dude, you need to break away. You're codependent. Uh, it, he says, I don't, even, I don't even use the words of my own authority. I, I speak whatever my father gives me. Jesus says, I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the father tells me to say. Jesus is totally dependent upon his heavenly father. Completely. And he's calling us into this life of true dependence on our Heavenly Father. I find this amazing when you think about this guest list. I love this, I love this. You know that story about Jesus going into the temple and clearing it? He goes in and he sees all these money changing tables and it's, it's important to know this. Jesus is not just like angry that people are making money. That's, that's not what Jesus' beef is all about. I believe wholeheartedly, if you think about where those tables were set up, they were set up in the, te- in, in the court of the Gentiles where they could come in, the only place they could come in and pray. That's why he said, my house is a house of prayer for all the nations, i.e. Gentiles. What Jesus is angry about, righteous anger, so much so that he makes a whip and he cracks it and he overturns tables. Get this picture of Jesus in your mind. That Jesus is angry about keeping outsiders out. No, no, no. This, the whole intention of this whole thing in even picking Abraham and the, the Israelites and saying, you will be a light to the nations, but you failed to be a light to the nations, so I'll send my son, the light, the light of the world, who indeed will fulfill what, 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 the, true, what the false son Israel was not about, the true son Jesus was about, bringing in the nations. And so Jesus goes into the temple and he clears it out. Do you know the very next verse in Matthew's gospel, the very next verse, after he clears out the temple, it says this, and the cripple and the lame and the blind came into the temple and he healed them. Why is that a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because from the Old Testament up until the time of Jesus' ministry, the religious authorities, the Jewish authorities said no access to the blind, the cripple, and the lame. They couldn't get into the temple. They were, they, were, they were kept out. 
And Jesus clears the temple of the, the money tables and he sets up a banquet table. And he says, come on in. And the, and the poor and the lame and the blind, they come in and he heals them. That's who Jesus is. That's what his house is about. I want you to see, make no mistake, this guest list is intentional. And Jesus is pointing us to something to say, you need to see those who I see and not those who you naturally see. I think about it this way, too. This is all about access. There's stories in the Bible and in the, in the New Testament Gospels about, um, you know, the children being brought to Jesus, infants and little kids being brought to Jesus. And what do the religious people do, the people who are following Jesus? Get them out of here. No, stop it. The master's busy. And what does Jesus do? Are you kidding me? Do not hinder them. And he takes each one of them into his arms. He picks them up and he blesses them. For such, the kingdom belongs to these little ones who have no status. They have access. Don't you dare deny them access. They have access. Right? What about the blind man? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Literally, they told him to shut up. They said, be quiet. Right? It's about access. They were denying him access to Jesus. The blind man and children cannot get to Jesus. But what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Ironic, the blind man is the only one who sees the true compassion of Jesus. And he calls out to him and he's healed. Again, Jesus is saying, do not deny these people access to me. Bring them in. My heart bleeds for them. And then you see the rich young ruler, and it's like the waters part. And they're like, come on in. There's no, there's, no, there's no hint that he had to struggle to get to Jesus. The rich young ruler comes up, and I'm thinking uh, the disciples were probably thinking something like this. We don't, we're not told this, so just sanctified common sense, maybe a little, you know, just go with me for a second. I think the disciples were like, this guy would make a great Christian. This guy could foot the bill for our sanctuary and all our ministry. Like the rich young ruler, he's got it. He's kept all the law. Bring him on in. Free access to Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? You need to get rid of some stuff and you need to come and follow me. And he leaves, sad, because he loved his stuff more than Jesus. He said, ironically, he said, I've kept all the law. He's like, all right, pop quiz, number one, no other God before me. Oops. Right? He hadn't even kept the first one, much less any of the other ones. And so Jesus sends him away. Look, for those who enter the kingdom of God, what, what Jesus is pointing to in this guest list, he wants to cultivate in you and in, in me this heart that cries out, Lord, why was I a guest? Like, what? why? Why do I belong here? And the reality is you don't. But you do. Because Jesus says you do. And he's not ashamed to call you brother or sister and to welcome you in. And so my, I, I want to be honest with you. I'm not good at this. I'm not preaching at you. Um, I'm not great at this. I'd much rather hang out with my brother than go toward anyone that society thinks is low status. But when we see the hurting, when we see the needy, when we see the children, the lame, the poor, the blind, what we, what we get to see is this. We get to more clearly see the heart of God. And, and what if that was the best thing for you? What if actually in caring for the poor and the needy, what if that was actually caring for yourself? 
Because I think it is. All those verses about like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, uh, lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. All those verses, you need to know this, come from a place of total love and commitment for you. It's not about, hey, do this and you'll earn something. It's you already have life in me, so don't go after what will keep you in bondage and keep you in the rat race, but live into my kingdom and it will actually be the best thing for you. But finally, we could spend a lot more time there, but I want you to see, before we get to our last point, the great banquet, what Jesus is calling his people to is to come and to rest in him and to flourish in him. And when people are truly doing that, when we rest in Jesus and we flourish in him, we want others to experience that. We want others to come into the rest that he provides and all the flourishing that's his. Which points us to the final point, the great banquet. Now, uh, this, this comment comes out of nowhere in one sense that this man says, hey, blessed are everyone who eats bread in the kingdom. And, and that's true on one level, but Jesus says, whoa, 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 not so fast. What Jesus tells this story about, uh, he's, he's pointing to the importance of actually accepting the invitation, of actually showing up and being there. And so he's, he's dealing with really uh, the Pharisees and their false security, okay? Th- they're children of Abraham, or so they think, um, they have the law and the prophets. They, they think they're in by birthright, right? And so Jesus is exposing their false security by telling this story. And it's a warning. It's a warning to them. So what is he getting at? Well, when this, when this guy throws this great banquet, it would be customary in their day to send out something like we do. You know, if, if, um, if you uh, have a wedding coming up, normally you get like a save the date, potentially, or a big party coming up, you'll get an email or something preliminary that says, hey, just so you know, mark your calendar. Because it's a long way off, but I need, you to, I need you to be there. And then you might get the formal invitation later, or in their day, what they would do, there'd be two invitations. One would be a save the date, RSVP. And that's very practical, because the master of the banquet would need to know, well, how, much, how many plates am I going to set? Like, how big does this table need to be? Right? And how much food, how many animals am I going to slaughter and barbecue and bring to the table? And how much wine do I need to get ready? And so this was kind of a big deal to accept that first invitation. Um, that was a big deal because not going when the, when the master of the banquet says, hey, it's ready. All the preparations have been made. The table's set. Can't wait for you to be there. For you not to show up, anciently, like historically, that is a declaration of war for some tribes. For you, for you to kill the fattened calf and to have a big party, and for all the people who you thought were going to be welcomed in to say no, that's like taking a peace treaty and ripping it up and lighting it on fire. You're saying, forget it. Okay, they would have no part. And so that's, that's the anger you see in the host. But I want you to notice, this is an ultimate slap in the face and insult. And then I want you to consider these excuses real quick, just for a second, because I think they're hilarious. All right. The first one is, hey, I bought some land. Now, by the way, banquets at this time would have been done at night. And so you don't really go, like they don't have flashlights or spotlights at this point, right? They don't have a a Z71 with brights and they can just, oh, that's a good field. I'll take it. (laughs) Apparently they've already bought the field. They're saying they've already bought it, but they need to go inspect it. Okay. I'm not a real estate mogul, but like I know that like you look at property before you buy it, I think. 
Um, and it's at night, so you can't really see it. And here's the point. That's a garbage excuse anyway, right? And these are all good things, by the way. Buying land, you know, buying oxen, farm equipment, uh, marriage, all those are like good things, but they're not ultimate things, and there are really no excuses for not coming to the party. The second one is buying the farm equipment. It's much like the second one. You know, you don't, you don't buy animals without seeing them, right? Um, you, don't, you, don't te- you, you normally test drive something before you, before you buy it, before you spend money on it. The last one's kind of funny because he said, I got married. Like, he didn't just go to Vegas. Like, the day before, the weekend before, and like, oh, I'm married now, sorry. Like, that would have been in the plans, right? That, and, and their weddings lasted longer than ours, a lot longer, like days. So, um, again, each excuse they give, the, the, the funny thing about it is there are really no excuses at all. They're not legitimate, is what Jesus is saying. And so what Jesus is doing is he's teaching the Pharisees something that's very important. He's teaching them that God's banquet, because the Jews all thought about salvation as a banquet. They thought about it that way, okay? But they thought about it as this future event, one day, someday only. And what God in the flesh and Jesus is showing up and saying is this. It's not just one day, someday. It's now. It is right now. The king has come. The kingdom has come and is coming. And certainly there will be the future, John 19, wedding supper of the lamb. It's coming. But I'm feasting now. That's why my disciples aren't fasting, because the groom is here. You don't, you ever been to a wedding and nobody, like, just no, everybody's mad and sad and in the corner, like, beating themselves up? No. There's a buffet, and I'm getting double or triple. Like, no, you celebrate because the bride and groom are happy and they're in love right? You're celebrating that. The same is true here. Jesus has shown up in the flesh. God is here. And this, by the way, this is what got Jesus killed as much as anything, who he ate with. Because the Pharisees could not wrap around their little brains, and me either sometimes, that God would sit down with his enemies and make them family. They could not. Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. And rightly so. He was a punk, right? He stole all their money. He didn't, nobody like Jesus sits down with him and turns him into the, the most generous person in Jericho. Outside of himself, Jesus. It's unbelievable. That's who Jesus is. The kingdom of God is not just this one day, someday distant reality. And, and friends, we need the now power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, the kingdom, to invade like our tiny little hearts now and expand our hearts to cause us to overflow with welcome and generosity. The kingdom of God is here now. And God is calling us to live into it. And so he's telling the, the, the Pharisees, preparation has already been made ready. I provided all that you need. Come on in. Accept this invitation. But here, I love this too, that, that, that Jesus points to this reality. Just because some people don't accept the invitation, guess what? Guess what? God's house is going to be full the kingdom of God will not lack its citizens. Jesus is going to get his, right? And all that come to him, he will save to the uttermost. And not one will be snatched out of his hand. He goes and says, I want my house full. Compel them. Make, some, I've read uh, some different commentators saying, yeah, drag them in. Like, bring them in. Compel them to come in. Like, manipulate their tail until they get in here. Like, get them. Somehow bring them in. Do you know, that, do you know this? I read this stat. 
and like all stats, I don't know how much of it to believe or not, whatever. Um, but there was a stat that said 82% of people, if invited to come to church, would actually say yes. What? I thought 80, over 80% of people weren't coming to church every week because they were like, the church stinks. Or it's not really worth getting up and going to. But do you know if they're asked by an individual, 82% of people, they might be lying, and you can try them on this. But they said, yeah, I'd go. That's shocking to me. And maybe they're doing the first invitation and not the second, maybe. I don't know. But the point is, you should try that. And even if one out of 100 comes, ask them. But the preparation has been made, and Jesus is saying, come in, compel people to come in. I want them here. Now, finally, before we get into a couple points of application, and we wrap this up, I want you to realize a couple things. One, I want you to think about who is in the highways and the hedges, who is in the alleys and the gutters. That's what Jesus is saying in this, in this um, parable. He's saying, go out into the highways and the hedges, go in the city to the streets and the lanes. So he's going, hey, those, those who are nearest, right, just down the road, potentially, in the, in the streets and the lanes, go after them. I want you to think about who, when, when you think about streets and alleys, who, who do you think about? What kind of riffraff do we judge and think about in that, in that way? Those are the people Jesus came to save, apparently. Go to the streets and the lanes in the city. But then, you know, they bring them in. It's like, there's still room. There's still room. And you know what Jesus says? Uh, All right, go out to the highways and the hedges. Go outside the city. Go to the nations. Bring in the outsiders. Even those nasty old Gentiles. You and me. Thank God he said this. Because I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile, like you. And Jesus says, go after them and bring them in. The poor cannot buy land. The blind don't go and examine a field or oxen. The lame aren't typically given in marriage. So think about this crowd. They would have been hungry and lonely. And they would have found the cure for both. They're hungry and lonely. If, that, if that's you at all, this banquet is for you. Remember what we said, Jesus compared salvation to eating in his kingdom? One of my favorite authors writes this. Jesus made it clear that salvation and the kingdom of God are not centered in a temple, but at a table. Jesus relocated the Holy of Holies from a veiled chamber reserved for a solitary high priest to a shared table to which all are invited. The risen Christ did not appear at the temple, but at meals at a table. The center of God's activity has shifted. It no longer, it was no longer the temple, but the table that was the holiest of all. The church would do well to think of itself not so much as a kind of temple, but as a table. So this image I have is, yes, I want to plant a church that feels more like a table than a temple. Now, Now granted, you do know that we are, ten- that's a biblical metaphor, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is the ultimate temple. He said, destroy that temple in three days, I'll raise it again. John says he was talking about the temple of his body. The good thing about Jesus going away was that he would send his spirit. In John 14, he said, I'll come and make my home in you. That we are now all temples of the Holy Spirit. Look, you should respect this building in, in to, to the degree that like, it would facilitate you worshiping God and loving people, okay? But this is not God's house. 
this, this sanctuary, whatever we call this, meeting space. Like if a tornado, God forbid, hit this place, next week you would worship in a school, in a bowling alley, or in a tent. This is not important on one level. This, 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 you're the sanctuary. You're the temple, right? So like, here's the beauty of this. Here's how practical this is. I want you to think of God not so much as this distant deity in a temple, but as a father at a table. And his son Jesus is pulling up chairs for anybody and everybody who will actually receive the invitation. How much of my wealth and my schedule is bent toward honoring myself or trying to gain honor so that others would honor me versus honoring others. And in doing so, as I honor the image of Jesus and others, the image of God and others, I honor God himself. Think about that for a moment. How much of our excess that we have, the flourishing that God has called us into, how much of that is spent on welcoming and receiving and honoring others or are you like me and you struggle because you just want to be honored yourself? All right, let's land this plane. Um, I thought about this. I think, I think God gave me this word uh, two days ago. I, you know, I didn't hear it audibly, Presbyterian. But um, your name as a church is Grace Community. And I thought about this. Jesus' meals, his table fellowship... They embody both grace and community. Okay, think about this. I'll just give you two examples. In, in Luke 5, Jesus calls Matthew, okay, the tax collector. Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. And you know what Matthew does? You know the next thing Matthew does? He throws a party. And you know who he invites? Known sinners and other tax collectors. So Jesus shows up to this party of one tax collector who invited other tax collectors and the Pharisees are angry. This guy welcomes and receives sinners and eats with them. They can't get over it, right? His meal embodies his grace. Yes, I want to be your friend, Zacchaeus. Nobody else does, but I do, right? Matthew, quit taking all this money and take my mercy and stop recording all these debts and record my debt, the debt of love. Record that. And you know what Matthew writes? Sinners and tax collectors get in before you. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and says, sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes get in before you. And you know Matthew's like smiling as he writes that because it's like, that's me. That's right, Jesus. I can't believe it. His meals, his, his table, it's an enactment of that grace. But then there's also community there. What that grace does is it forms and establishes this deep community. Luke 7, Simon the Pharisee, welcomes Jesus into his home, but he gives him no water. He doesn't give him any oil to anoint his head. He gives him no kiss. So he doesn't really welcome him. But he welcomes Jesus to the, the, his, his, his banquet. And with this shocking degree of intimacy, this known sinful woman comes in and starts weeping on Jesus' feet and anointing him and crying. And everybody's like, if this dude were a prophet, he would know how sinful this, how nasty this woman is. And Jesus tells another parable about forgiveness and says, no, she loves a lot because she's forgiven a lot. And then he looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You see, anybody's welcome. 
in this community. Because God's grace is active and it calls us deep into... Jesus is not ashamed to link his identity to the sinful woman. Or to you. Or to me. Which points to this final application of... We've mentioned it several times, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And Justin can talk to you more deeply and profoundly about the kingdom of God. You should ask him to. I'm not, I'm not throwing that up. I'm being dead serious about that. Um, but to, to sum it up, because I can't say everything right now, is to say this. Um, one definition of that is just like all that God is and all that God has. All that Jesus is and all that he has, everything he intends. His kingdom, his rule and his reign. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to descend upon you and your family, your own heart, your own family, your own church family, the city of Memphis, this world? What would it look like for the kingdom of God? Because we pray it every week, pretty much every week at least. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord's Prayer. What would that look like? Uh, One of my favorite authors, um, he's a professor, Brian Fickert. Um, He says that we've been living into a partial story and a partial story is not the full story, right? Of evangelical Gnosticism. It's a fancy terminology, whatever, that means that we have divorced the physical and the spiritual. Like we have God and spirituality on Sunday, and then we have, you know, Monday through Saturday, and we have the physical. And so what, what we've done in, in, the, in the American church for, for a long time, by and large, not all the time, but by and large, is we have divorced body and soul, physical and spiritual, word and deed. We've taken those apart. But what I want you to know is that's a false dichotomy. Because Jesus, even now, and his phys- Jesus has a physical body, and he still bears the physical scars of his love for you and his glorified body. And what this whole thing is going toward is not for you to like be rescued from hell and sit on a cloud and play a harp, like in a diaper. Or what I, like, that's not, it, like, that's not any better than me eating a steak with my brother. I'd rather eat a steak with my brother than go play music. Sorry, you music, musicians in here who love, like, you know, picking on y'all for a second. I, I doubt that you would think that, that this disembodied existence on a cloud playing music would really be fulfilling forever. No, 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 no. The goal of this thing is the new heavens and the new earth. It will be deeply physical and deeply spiritual. Harvey Kahn puts it this way, to care about spiritual, to care about the spiritual, is to care about all of life. Because at the very beginning of the book, of the, Bi- the very beginning of the Bible, the spirit of God hovers and creation happens. <laughs> like all creation happened from that which is deeply spiritual. Right? And Jesus is going to reconcile all of it bodies and souls to himself. The biblical metaphor we see for this is the vine and the fig tree. I don't have time to point you there, but if you look at 1 Kings 4, what it looks like for a good king, Solomon, even though he was a, you know, he was a failure, but there were times where he was a great king and, and there was peace and there was rest. And it says that each man sat under his own vine and fig tree. In 1 Kings 4. Then you turn the pages to Micah 4. That was just Israel. In Micah 4, you have the nations. You have this prophecy of the nations sitting under their own vine and fig tree. And then finally in Zechariah 3, you have it again. This promise that each man will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. Now what's, 
the biblical analogy of a vine and fig tree. What's a vine? You can, you can imagine what a vine is. A vine is food and drink. A vine is flourishing. Where there is no vine, there, there's curse. Where there's blessing, there's vines, right? Vines abound. The fig tree, what's the fig tree? It's a place where there's shade and shelter. So you might not have vines at your home. You, you may not have vines and fig trees in your life, but you know what you have? You have a house and a table, and you probably have a fridge, and you probably have enough to put on that table. You have shelter and rest physically, and you have a table. What he's saying is, what if we thought evangelism was more like this, more like out of the classroom, out of beating people up with Bible verses and trying to convince them to be a Christian? What if we just welcomed them into the rest and the flourishing that God has given us? The vine and the fig tree. What if we said, hey, all I have is from God and I want you to come share it with me? Isn't that more compelling? Is that not more welcoming and receiving? To say, hey, come into the flourishing that God has given me. I don't, this isn't mine. Come into the rest that Jesus provides. What percentage of your heart believes that this morning? That God has given you rest and he's caused you to flourish. And he wants you to share that with others. You see, Jesus liberates you to be part of this new creation. And we are more free than we even realize to honor others, to promote others, to serve others, to protect others, to listen to others, and to realize finally that there are no others. There's just us who belong to Jesus. Do not hinder them, but invite them. Last quote. Uh, If you've read Prince Caspian, um, there's a party with Aslan, uh, and Susan says, you know, there, there's this celebration, there's dancing and laughing and shouting, and I love this, there's grapevines sprouting up everywhere, okay? And she says this, I would not have felt very safe meeting them without Aslan. So I'm not just talking about a party for a party's sake, right? Parties can be dangerous. You can make a lot of dumb decisions at parties, young people, Okay? I'm talking about, and old people, I'm talking about a party with Jesus. It's safe to party with Jesus. Actually, it's only safe to party with Jesus. It's safe to go to a party with Aslan, right? That's what she's saying. I would not have felt safe unless Aslan were there. And so my my delight, my my desire, and hopefully my delight, is that um, I would do life in church in such a way that it felt more like a party, that it felt more like a banquet, that it felt more like a welcome so that people would know who and whose they are. And they would, they would actually want to reciprocate that. They would want to say, yes, I've been invited. Can't find my invitation, but I'm not going to check yours. (laughs) Glad you're here, right? You belong here. Grace community. uh, I think you're living into that name. And so this is not me saying like, get better. This is me saying, excel still more as the apostle Paul would say. To live into your name, to who you are, who God has made you. May the Lord make it so. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, we thank you that you have extended this wild invitation through the blood of your own dear son. That we now could feast at your table. Uh, Remind us that we are beggars and, and beggars know how to open their hands. And we know that your grace will come. So Lord, make us people 
who receive your invitation, uh, but then offer it to others so that we all could experience uh, the rest and the flourishing that Jesus alone provides. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen.